Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, um, as you guys know, we are a mother of three beautiful girls. We have Olivia. She is seven. Abigail, she is five. And Hannah, she'll be three tomorrow. Yeah. So Hannah will be turning three. Um, all of my kids are very strong. Like, we have very strong-willed children. And you know if you have a strong-willed child because it happens at birth. Like, they're just born that way. Hannah exemplified it, I think, the earliest um, in our home. I was, she was learning how to eat, right? She's a baby. She's six months old. And um, it's the feeding time. Some moms love that. I can't stand it. It's just dirty. It's messy. I'm not a fan. And so we're sitting there, and I'm feeding her. And, and she lets me do it a few times. And then shortly after, she, she closes her mouth. And she seals it shut. And I'm like, Hannah, this is yummy. Like, eat your food. And um, she wouldn't let me do it. She rips the spoon out of my hand, and she starts feeding herself. And I was like, girl, you are like seven or eight months old. Like, how are you doing this right now? So as soon as she did that, I knew and I recognized, oh, I have a strong-willed child. Another one. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'd like to blame it on my husband, but it's me. I'm very, very strong-willed. Pray for our household because he has four of us now. Um, so that exemplified my Hannah. Friday, we went out to dinner. Uh, my mom and my um, nephews, we went out to go grab a bite to eat, little diner place. And um, Hannah is not wearing shoes because she's two, right? Like she doesn't need shoes. So I pick her up and I'm carrying her to the restroom and I'm walking back and we're passing all these tables. And uh, I'm carrying her and I'm like, we're at the end. It's the last couple in the room. And she goes like this. This is Hannah. She's two. She goes like this. She balls up her fist. And then she, like, punches at the lady. And I was like, ah, Hannah, we don't do that. Like, we don't hit people we don't know. I mean, we don't hit anybody. <laughs> we don't hit anybody, not just people we don't know. And the lady is so gracious. She's like, oh, you're so cute, you know, engages in conversation. She was like, we'll just say she was saying hi, you know. And I was like, why don't we just call it a fist bump? Because if we're going to lie, let's, like, at least make it a cool lie. Like, it matches, right? So I'm giving you a story of Hannah because it's leading up to this moment. I shared it on Facebook if you guys have a Facebook. If you saw it, if not, it's okay. If you heard it, just go with it. So I'm in the bathroom. We're getting ready. We're going to head somewhere. And um, I, I'm getting ready. And Hannah comes into the bathroom. Super cute little girl. I love her to pieces. And she grabs this cup or something and she chucks it into my bathtub. And it makes like this super loud noise. And I turn around super fast. And I was like, well, Hannah, what was that? And she threw a toy, and I said, we don't do that. That's not who we are. Like, we are gentle. We are nice. We're kind. And she puts her hands on her hips, and she's like, you don't know me. <laughs> and she storms out of the room. I was like, <laughs> like parenting 101, y'all, we know. What are we not supposed to do? You don't laugh. And I died. Like, I lost it. I was like, my two-year-old put her hands on her hips and just told me, you don't know me. <laughs> I was like, where did you even learn that? Because that's not how we talk. But it came out that Nana, Nana, her grandmother taught her that. Like, you don't know me. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, no cheering for Nana. As I was preparing for this message, I know you guys heard, it was a message I shared at the women's um, breakfast that we had, and the Lord just it 
pressed this story on my heart. And I was like, okay, Lord, like, I get that. And, you know, musing with the Lord. And I felt like Jesus highlighted two things that um, come with that phrase, you don't know me. One phrase or one meaning that we can mean when we say, you don't know me, is the meaning of justification. What we're saying in that moment, and a lot of times, I'm not even going to ask the question, how many have ever said it to Jesus? Because I'm pretty sure we've all said it to Jesus. It's a question of how many times. Whether you use the exact phrasing of, you don't know me, that's not the question. Our actions exemplify something different, right? So how many times have we used that phrase or our body language or a lack of bending our will to what Jesus is saying? Have we said, you don't know me? My anger that I struggle with right now is justified. You don't know why I guard myself. You don't know why walls are put up. You don't know why I struggle with pride. You don't know why I'm stuck in this sin. We use it as a sense of justification for where we are today. The other thing that we tend to use you don't know me as is disqualification. Like you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know my pain. You don't know my insecurity. You don't know my fear. You don't know why I say no to so many opportunities and so many pressings of Jesus saying yes. Right? Justification and disqualification. We tend to use those two things when it comes to our walk with Jesus. And let's be honest. When we're able to use justification or disqualification, it's comfortable, right? It may not, like we, we may not be thriving, but we're, we're comfortable. I know when I've told Jesus no, not a lot, not a, like a little bit, I've told Jesus no like, like a lot. And I'm comfortable. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to be pruned. I don't want to be cut. Like, no, you don't know me. I'm cool. Like this girl, it's not going to happen. And it's left me in a place of comfortability, but it also has left me in a place of um, wanting more. Knowing God has more for me, feeling the stretching, feeling the, oh, man, like, God, you equip me to do more. But I'm, I'm saying no because of my own fears, my own past, my own securities. And regardless of what side of the spectrum you land on this morning, whether it's, man, you justify a lot. Um, I, I'm really good at justifying. Like, I'm going to keep it real. Like, if you call me on stuff, I have a good reason. I can have a real good reason. Like if I wake up in a bad mood, well, it's because Hannah didn't sleep good. or Like I, I can justify <laughs> a lot. Um, but regardless of the spectrum that you land on, whether it's justification or disqualification, what I do know is God does not desire for us to stay in any one of those two places. God desires for us to get out of a justifying way. Why? Because we're going to stay stuck. And he desires for us to stop being in a place of disqualification. Why? Because he has so many things that he wants you to accomplish that only you can accomplish, that only you can do. And the more we keep disqualifying ourselves because of X, Y, and Z, the more stuck we become in our journey with Jesus. One of the, the my Pastor Chris said, one of my passions is freedom. I love seeing people walk in freedom. It's the most beautiful thing when God reveals something and we surrender it and we let it go. But I think the reason I'm so passionate about it for other people is because I need it. I need to be challenged in my walk with Jesus because I can get so stuck because I'm comfortable and all I want to do is say no. One of my most favorite scriptures is Hebrews 12.1. 
and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And the reason I love that so much is because it rips off every excuse we could have for not being used by God. It takes away everything that we use to lean on so that we can keep saying no. And what I want to share this morning um, is, number one, God has a race for you to run. But if you are taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. You can't run your race with God while you're running away from God. You can't run your race with God if you are running away from God. And I know a lot of us would be like, I'm not running away from God. But if we just, if we're honest, I ran away from him a lot. It didn't say I wasn't saved. It wasn't a question of my salvation. It wasn't a question of uh, my love for the Lord. It was a question of, oh, that's a little too close to home. I am, nope, you don't have access to that part of my life. You don't have access to that hurt that, that happened so many years ago. And if we want to be used by Jesus, church, a pruning process has to take place. If we want to just experience intimacy and a closeness with the Father, those moments of allowing Jesus to come in and cut and dig out things that are hindering us in our walk with him, they're necessary. Amen? I want us to travel to Judges, chapter 4. And we're just going to journey through a man named Barak and his pursuit of freedom. His pursuit, um, he was commander of Israel's army. And we're going to pick up in Judges, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. I was, that was good, right? Do you guys like that R? I don't speak Spanish, though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the people of Israel, I, I could pretend like I do. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon, and I will draw out to Sarah, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. So we're going to take a lesson from Barak here. Because I think a lot of us, all of us, can relate to him, whether it be present day or where God has brought us from or where we're heading in the future. Barak obviously had been told that God had said to go and that victory would be yours. But we can also tell, because has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, we can also see that there was a hesitation. When the Lord first told Barak to go and take victory from Canaan, there, he wasn't going. He was a you don't know me. Now, whether it was a you don't know me of justification or a you don't know me of disqualification, I mean, scholars can debate back and forth. But I think it's a little bit of a fear. It might be a little bit of justification because the backstory is Israel was under oppression from Canaan for 20 years. So justification, like, it hasn't been that bad. Like, 20 years, that's not that bad. We've lived that long, Right? It could have been a disqualification, like, mm -mm, I'm not going up against that military might. But they've been oppressing us for 20 years. 
So Israel was under this oppression for 20 years from Jabin, king of Canaan. Sisera was the commander of his army, and Sisera commanded an army of not just, but an army that included 900 chariots of iron. And Jabin, like foot soldiers, was what he got. And so you can sense that hesitation, and you can, man, I can understand that trepidation of going in, even though we know victory was already going to be given to Israel. And I felt like this morning, even though we may not be up, a fi- up against a physical army, there's an army of, of our past that haunts us. There's an army of what people have said you are, and it's not pushing you closer to Jesus. There's a spiritual war that we're having to fight to gain the freedom that God has already given you victory over. But we know in order to possess that victory, and in order to walk into the promises that God has already guaranteed you, there's going to be a war that has to be fought. So number one I want to share with you is freedom is not attainable. Freedom is attainable, but warfare is inevitable. God wants you walking in such a freedom. And what do I mean by freedom? Freedom is a plethora of things. Number one, freedom is Jesus. But number two, freedom is walking the way God designed you and created you to walk. Like we live in such a messed up world. It's broken. Upbringings, like some of us have experienced some great pain. Some of us have experienced Um, We've been cheated on. We've been betrayed. Some of us divorce. Some of us friends that just stabbed you in the back. Physical, emotional, sexual, mental abuse. Like some of us, these are things that we journey through and, and they don't just go away over time. Physical wounds go away over time. But those scars of our emotion and our mind and our spirit Those are things that we know God wants access to. And the only way that we're going to walk in true healing and true freedom is if we actually give access to Jesus in those areas. So your freedom is attainable. It's just it's going to require a warfare. It's going to require a fight. And for some of us, we've been in it for 20 years. And we've settled with, oh, it's not that bad. I've been like that for 20 years. I've suffered with it for 20 years. But I, can I encourage you that when you start pursuing your freedom in Jesus, oh, my goodness, the chains that you feel fall off and the freedom that you start to get because you know who you are and you know that he's yours, it's amazing. I want to share a little of my freedom journey with you. I'm going to keep it short, I think. I don't know. I'm an introvert, but I kind of talk a lot. So I'm going to try and keep it short. Uh, So my freedom journey that the Lord took me on, everybody's is different, right? If I asked everybody to share their past, we'd have a plethora. You got Pastor Matt's in the house that just ran the streets and did dirt and was crazy, right? And then you have people like me and then a wide array in between. So my freedom journey starts with when I was very young, that wasn't me, like that's not me. It starts very young. When I was born, my mother and father can attest to you, I, I, like Hannah's innately strong-willed. I was innately shy, like quiet, uh, wallflower, not saying a word, nothing. I was crazy at home because I was safe and comfortable, and I, was, I, I thought I was hilarious. But out in public, nobody ever saw that. I was just zipped. N- nobody heard, like, a word. So this used to be me whispering my order to my sister at a restaurant. 
I used, you guys can laugh because I'm healed. So if you want to laugh, you can laugh. It doesn't affect me anymore. I used to have to order my, my food from um, my sister. And I would whisper, I want a hamburger, french fries, or, you know, whatever, a Coke. And then she would tell the waiter, because I was too shy and embarrassed to even open my mouth and utter anything to anybody I didn't know. This next picture, I know it's a bathroom, but picture a library. I used to eat lunch in the library almost all of my high school days. Almost all of them. Again, you can laugh. I'm, I'm healed. Um, unless that was you too and you don't want to laugh, that's okay. Uh, when we were in the summer of our eighth grade year, lived in Pomona down south, and my parents moved, uh, my dad had a job transfer and moved us up to here, this wonderful city. And uh, my freshman year, we went to San Ramon High, and, or Cal High, Cal High. I went to Cal High my freshman year, devastated. I was like, I didn't have to make friends in high school because I knew them since I was in kindergarten, but now I got to start all over, right? Met no one my freshman year because this girl didn't open her mouth. Then sophomore year, my parents are like, yeah, we love stretching our children. Let's move them to, to Foothill High School now. So now I'm like, oh, my gosh, like another school. And I had to jump into Foothill High School. Guys, I was so shy and so quiet. Everybody thought I was just this stuck-up mean person. And I'm dying on the inside. I'm like, I just don't know how to say hi to you. <laughs> like, I don't know how to talk to you. I went my entire junior year making one friend, and I did not know her name, till like the last two months of school. <laughs> Straight up. I am not exaggerating. I'm not lying. Her name was Aruna. I know it now. It doesn't help me now. But that's, that's my history. That's my past. Like, I came out just super feeling like I had not just nothing worth saying, but I didn't have the, the what is that, gunction to say anything. I was bound so much by fear, bound so much by insecurity. And, again, that may not be your story. Your story may be just the opposite. You're like, I have no problem using this thing. And that's awesome. And that's fine. But even in that sense, God wants to bring a lot of healing and restoration from your past, whether it's quiet and unsure and insecure, whether it was just the opposite of something like that. So sharing with you my, my freedom journey, um, Pastor Dave Sylvie's in the house. Right over there. Can we give it up for Pastor Dave Sylvie? I remember a Wednesday night Bible study at Faith Fellowship, our last church that we were assigned to. And I hadn't been in full-time ministry. I hadn't done anything yet. And um, Pastor Dave was speaking, and he had a prophetic moment at the end. And he said, if I point to you, stand up. So I was one of the ones he pointed to. So I stood up, and he was like, everybody that is standing up, you're going to be in full-time ministry. I was like, yes, I'm going to be an administrator. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to administrate something. Because Matt and I weren't dating yet. Like, we weren't together. But I was working in the youth ministry. And sure enough, what did I do? I fell into the role of an administrator. And I was bad at it. Like, I thought because I was shy and quiet and, like, reserved, I don't want the front. I don't want, like, nothing. I was like, God, you've called me to be an administrator. And administrators, like, we need you for real because I can't survive day to day without you. And so I thought, because of the lies that had been poured over myself from the enemy and lies that I had believed and started pouring over myself, I thought that's what the Lord had for me. And and poor Matt, like, we learned the hard way. I ended up being fired because um, appointments would show up, not just, like, five times, like, at least, like, 30 times in our years at Faith Fellowship, they'd show up, like, hi, we're here for our, our appointment with Pastor Matt. And Matt was like, really? 
there's an appointment for me. I was like, sorry. I forgot. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> so he fired me. He did. He was like, that's not you. Many of you guys have heard the, and, and I'm getting to the end of just our freedom journey just so I can share it with you. We're fighting and we're arguing and I'm just not content in my heart. I'm like, ah, I feel like I'm a square peg trying to fit into the shape of a circle. Like I can't fit. And that's exactly what the Lord used my husband to prophesy over me. Because of all the lies that I had believed that this is who I am, I started to build my life to fit into a mold. That wasn't what God had for me at all. And I wonder how many of us feel that same way. Your story and your history may not be having a problem with insecurity or fear or being shy. But how many of us have lived up to a certain standard because of what people have said about us or because of the lies that we've believed about us? And we feel like we are a square trying to fit into a circle, and it's just not working. And I want to challenge you this morning, like, who does God say that you are? And what lies have you believed that has shaped you into the person that you are today, and it's not who you are? You've settled, you've justified, you've disqualified yourself because of what you think you are, and it's so far from the truth. And so let's go back to Barack. Barack has this opportunity. Deborah's like, come on, has not the Lord commanded you? And so we're going to look at Barack's response really quickly. Judges chapter 4, verse 8, Barack said to her, if you go with me, I will go. And that leads me to point number two. You need to walk with a warrior. If you want your freedom, you need to walk with somebody that is going to assist you in your freedom. Can I tell you, being, being up here, leading worship on a Sunday morning, teaching freedom, doing growth track, what, whatever the Lord has me do, it's a stretch every time. Every single time, I can easily revert back to what I used to be. Old habits die hard. And if I surround myself with nobody or if I surround myself with people that just aren't going to push me into the calling that God has for my life, I'm slipping backwards. I just, I know it. And so the same goes for you. As you begin to step into your freedom, as you begin to pursue Jesus and you allow the pruning and you allow God to come in and cut out these certain areas of your life, you're going to need to find people to walk with you. You're going to need to find people that are going to come alongside you, pick up your hand, and push you forward into the galling that God has for you. Because just like for me, for you, old habits die hard. And you're going to want somebody to challenge you, to push you, to encourage you. You're not going to want somebody to be like, oh, let's go drown our sorrows. Like, you don't want somebody that's going to be like, man, forget that. That's not what God, that's, they're not even going to mention anything about the Lord. Like, who are you surrounded by? Are you surrounded by men, women, who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't make a decision right now. Like, what is God saying? Are you surrounded by people that there's no pursuit of the Father? And they'll gladly take you, your hand and, and pull you in the opposite direction. Not because of maliciousness, not because of they're mean, not because of anything like that. But because if they're not pursuing the voice of the Father. They're not going to lead you to pursue the voice of the Father. This week, Matt, Matt asked me to, to share this the Sunday um, of the women's breakfast, which was like a month ago. I said no. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not happening. Then he asked me again. I was like, no. Then he asked again. And I was like, no. 
And then God was like, yes. And I was like, fine. Yes. I'll say yes. And all week I was like, like anybody ever have those like anxiety moments and like those panic attacks and your heart like races and then it goes away? Am I the only one for real? Come on. Come on. It may not be about public speaking for you, but for me it is. All week, I, I kept trying to get out of it. I was like, well, listen, babe, like, Pastor Chris, like, he's here. Like, he can preach. Or, you know, I'm just really not sure. I tried so many ways to get out of it, and he wouldn't let me. And I thank God for that. But all week, because I have chosen to walk with warriors, all week, my phone has been blown up with texts of encouragement praying for you, lean on Jesus, videos coming through of friends, women who surround me, who lift me up. Because I know if I am not surrounded by people pushing me towards Jesus and towards what he has for me, I'm going backwards. I'm going in the opposite direction. Because, again, old habits die hard. I want to be behind the computer messing up Matt's scheduling. Like, that's what I want to do. Not intentionally, but it's going to happen. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent, and a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Ladies and gentlemen, we breathe small groups here because it's just real. It's just real. You're going to come into a group of people that don't have it all together. Praise God. You're going to come into a group of people that are like, man, I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't know what God is saying to you, but let's pursue him together. It's a group where you can just, you can start making friendships, turns to discipleship, and you start to see Jesus in your friendships when you put yourself out there, and you just, you just say yes. So let's continue reading. Judges chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. I just sense what the Lord was saying to us this morning was we need to respond rapidly. When God is speaking and when God is stirring, respond to what he's saying. Because I have done that so many times in my life. I sense Jesus is saying to step out and I talk myself right out of it. And the beautiful thing about Jesus and the thing that I'm like, come on, Lord, just kick us out of the nest sometimes. But the beautiful thing I like about the Lord is Revelation sta states that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And whoever opens the door, he will come in and he will dine with them and him vice versa. Just because the Lord is offering you freedom doesn't mean you're going to get it because the ball is in your court. Just because Jesus is saying, man, I want to deliver you from this. I want to heal you from this. I want to restore you from this. That pain, I want to I take it. The ball is in my court, and it's in your court whether we're going to respond, open the door, and dine with him. It's up to you. God can make all the revelation. And he has a banqueting table that he wants you to feast at. But if you're not willing to surrender, if you're not willing to invite him into those areas of your life, 
then you will continue to be in the same pattern that you've been in for these last months, weeks, years, you name it. Because God is so gentleman-like, he will not push himself on you. I love that about the Lord, but sometimes I'm like, I just need you to push me because I'm not jumping if you don't push me. So respond rapidly. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. There are some things that God is just pressing you on. There's some healing that you know God wants to restore. Your anger, when somebody gets close to a certain spot and that anger flares up, God wants to deliver you from that. That's just not who you are. It's not just a generational thing that's been passed down to you that you have to walk in. That pride that you struggle with, you don't have to struggle with pride. I struggle with pride. And it's still a fight. It rears its ugly head. But I lay it down before Jesus constantly. The fear that grips you, you don't have to walk in that fear and be controlled by that fear if we just surrender it to Jesus. That sin that so easily entangles you, man, by the blood of the lamb, when we just surrender and give it to Jesus, he does something beautiful with it. Is Elvis in here? This morning, somebody grab him for me. What I love is after the battle, we won. Yay. Israel got its victory. What I love the most, though, is it was by a woman. She was like, Cicero was like, hide me, refresh me, like hide me in your tent. She was like, yeah, come on in. Bam, put a tent peg in his head. Like killed him. That's awesome. That's awesome, right? But what I love is that. And also, as soon as the victory was done, Deborah and Barak sang a song to the Lord. The Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the word of the Lamb and our word of our testimony. What a testimony that was for Israel at that time. A testimony of victory, of vindication. A testimony of, man, this could only have been done by God's hand because of what we were up against. And they began to proclaim this song throughout the streets of Israel. Listen to me. When you pursue your freedom and when you get your victory, you cannot help but let a song come out of your mouth. And I don't necessarily mean like, la, 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 la. I'm not talking about like that kind of song. I'm talking about your testimony. You can't help but go somewhere and you go to buy a coffee. How are you? Man, God is good. Oh, he is so good. You go and you go to Walmart, you're dealing with all these crazy people and there's a joy and a peace on your face. How's your day? Oh my gosh, the favor of the Lord. He set me free. Like that, began, that, that begins to be your song because you're seeing God's faithfulness as you step out. You're seeing the freedom of God take place in your heart and you can't help but declare God's goodness. You can't help but declare God's faithfulness. You can't help but declare how much God loves you because you're constantly stepping forward in what God has for you. 
Hebrews 11, 32 through 24. This, this has to be just my favorite part. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, oh, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, whose weakness was turned to strength. We have no excuse. The weaknesses that you think you possess are nothing compared to the Father. Your inadequacies that you constantly use to disqualify yourself, they pale in comparison when we begin to say yes. When we begin to step out. Barack, it wasn't written about Barack. Well, he kind of listened, kind of not. Like if he would have listened the first time, he would have really seen my glory. It lists Barack. In Hebrews 11, which is the heroes of the faith chapter, all these men and women of God who did awesome things, whose weakness was turned to strength. He wasn't remembered because of his hesitation and his fear. He was remembered because he said yes in the midst of his mess. He said yes in the midst of feeling disqualified. He said yes in the midst of feeling justified. I challenge you this morning. What step is God asking you to take in your journey with him? Where is God wanting to stretch you? What is God wanting you to give up this morning? There is a world out there and they're dying to see Jesus, not just lived from a platform see it lived through you, through your faith, through your yes.